Hi, this is Tony at Cover Publications. I'm speaking to Andre Symes, CEO of Genesis Technologies, and uh, especially in the UK, been there for a few years now. So great to be catching up with you again, Andre. Um, and also I'm speaking to Ed Halsey. Ed, thank you very much for talking to us. Ed is the founder of Evermore Digital, an insurance technology consultancy in the UK. Um, guys, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Uh, um, uh, just to recap, Andre and I had a bit of a chat about software as a service um, in the previous podcast, and this is sort of a bit of a follow-up from there, looking a bit more at some of the detail with regards to software as a service. Now, um, software as a service, as we know, is a great development, um, and it makes software very accessible to a lot of um, smaller companies especially that would not have been able to, but it also takes a lot of the burden of in-house development and hosting, etc., of software from the larger companies. So, Andre, maybe you can just um, tell us a little bit from a, a Genesis, Genesis perspective how you see software as a service um, currently and then also um, into the future, especially with regards to um, the movement towards more software as a service than in-house development, hosting, etc. Yeah, Tony, that's a fantastic question. And I think there's, there's a two-part answer to that. There's a, a, a drive to go cloud across the industry that we currently see in, in South Africa with the large uh, institutions moving to hosted solutions, and particularly, you know, probably more platform as a service type solutions. Or, or ASPs where they have their bespoke solutions simply hosted for them in a cloud offering. But very, very exciting for the, the medium to small brokers, which previously couldn't have access to substantial policy admin platforms, is that there is a drive towards getting proper software as a service out there. And effectively, what that is going to mean for the, for, for the, the regional brokers is cost-effective access to very, very powerful tools which could potentially help revolutionize them and help them through these challenging times. So, so um, Ed, from, from your perspective, and, and I mean, we connected um, mainly because of Andre, and um, it was a, a, a very short conversation with regards to the pricing um, protocols and pricing methods, etc., with regards to software as a service. And you had some opinions there that you raised, Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your thoughts of um, the pricing environment with uh, SaaS. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the pricing is vital in terms of uh, SaaS solutions. And I think you know, in the first case, there's got to be affordability there. So you know, a lot of the people who need software have smaller books of business. And that's the whole point of SaaS is that it should be accessible to them. So it needs to be affordable. But, but what I've seen over time is that um, what looks great at point one, when you've got a two hundred thousand pound book of business, you know it doesn't look so great when that becomes twenty million. So I would I would encourage people to look at the future proofing of that and not just what it looks like at the outset, but what it's going to look like going forward. And actually, the other criticism I had of it was that I've seen a lot of and we know a thing or two about this in the insurance industry. And um, you know, it, it, we've seen a lot of dual pricing, um, where you know customers have bought in at a very low price. Um, a very low price and that's that's really great for them and it gets them started but over time 
as they become entrenched in that ecosystem and as they become more reliant on the software, the price just gradually creeps up more and more and you start to see them become more reliant and less able to say no. And we've certainly seen some vendors over here who've raised their prices significantly and what was a great deal now isn't and it's now problematical for the customer um, and they can't get away from this platform and, and getting away from the platform and, and having that exit strategy is, is also really, really important. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Andre, to, to get back to you, because you've got experience from obviously a long, many years of experience in the, in the South African market as well. Um, the, you know, are the, the users of software or the, the buyers of software are they aware of what to look out for and these challenges that might might come up? Because obviously nobody wants to get a big surprise a year or two down the line and you now fully embed it and you've bought into this uh, um, uh, provider of your software and now you the, the pricing is coming back to haunt you. Um, how, how would you try and avoid that? Look, Tony, I believe that there should be a fair amount of, of ethics within the product providers and or the vendors, you know, the software as a service vendors, to be fully transparent with their pricing. We, we all know that the regulators look at the insurers and the brokers in South Africa with uh, an eagle eye to make sure that there is no substantial pricing increases on renewal, that there's full transparency. But, you know, somehow all of the IT vendors seem to have uh, you know, not being held to the same types of um, 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 stringent protocols as as the carriers and the brokers themselves. So what they need to do is that you need to be fully transparent about what it is you're going to do, what your pricing looks like, what is included in your pricing, and then also take your potential client through some what-if analysis. You know, so if you're going to be starting someone out on three or four million rand on your platform and there's a GWP pricing mechanism, what is it going to look like if they, for instance, hit their, their growth targets that their board has set out for them? Then there's also a very important aspect that you need to disclose. Are your additional modules going to attract different fees? So a lot of vendors, what they would do, Tony, is they would say, you can take my quote and buy in front end. You can take my policy administration. But, but if you want to add claims later, it's going to double the cost to you. So then it obviously doesn't make any more sense. But once you've loaded all that, that, that information on the platform, it is more difficult taking it off than simply paying the platform provider the additional fee for the additional modules. So that is quite important. And then to actually familiarize yourself with the types of software as a service pricing modules they are. Are you going to be going on per user? Are you going to be going on tiered? You know, like, are there going to be groups of people? Are there going to be in-app purchases? You know, as, as silly as it sounds, all of us have had an experience with either a younger brother or sister or a child of ours getting access to one of their freemium games on your iPad and then buying on your iPad account, you know, all the buy up upgrades for whatever game it is, Clash of the Clans, whatever they're playing. Is there going to be that aspect down the line where if you want to run your month in renewal, it's going to cost you an extra five quid? I know that might sound silly, but make no mistake about it. IT vendors are all thinking about ways to monetize this. Yeah. Um, Any comment from your side, Ed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a really interesting point, Andre. I, I've always personally been a fan of, um, you know, it should be about the value that you return. Um, and I like it personally where my vendors are bought into my business and where where my success um, is important to them. You know, I don't like just going out and, and purchasing software in a in a Microsoft Word kind of way. 
I like consumption based because consumption for me says if I'm successful, you have a vested interest in that as my provider. So I really like the models that are, are GWP related or, or are linked back to premium um, because you're then you know, it's then important to you that I'm able to write the business. I, you don't charge me for that module. Um, you charge me for the success that or the value that I derive from the system. And that's a really important thing for me because I don't just you know, I want ICIT as a partnership. I want you as my technology partner, not necessarily just you know someone that I buy a bit of technology from and then never hear from again. And I think it it's all about driving the right behaviours. Um, yeah, everything in business is about driving the right behaviours, rewarding the good things and punishing the bad things. And I think those kind of models work really well for it and, and keep everyone honest with one another and, and working on the same page. Yeah, absolutely, Ed. You know, some of the pricing models and, and, and thinking behind some of the pricing models have, have left me dumbstruck. It, we, I came across a vendor that would charge a client additional fee to launch more products on their platform. So you every product that you put on platform attracts an additional license fee. And if you just unpack that a bit and you go, that is that that completely inhibits or it, 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 it demotivates anybody from trying to do any sort of product innovation because what you're actually trying to do for your client is to create the, the, the lowest barrier of entry to do product innovation. You know, we insurance is going through this whole revolution of trying to do things differently than we have for the last couple of hundred years. Why would you disincentivize your clients from trying to do that? Also, you know, some people, they, for instance, on the GWP model, they, they will increase the fee the more the more that you put on. And proportionately to your TCO, you probably want to reduce your fee. You know, there's no point in paying someone 2% on 5 billion pounds. No one is ever going to buy into that. So I think that there is some maturity that needs to take place in the pricing model. There's most definitely people that are taking chances with people that have been bought into uh, some contracts and ecosystems. As Tony, or as you mentioned earlier, once you're in an ecosystem, you don't get out. I've been on Apple for 15 years. I'm probably not going to go anywhere anytime soon. I can't. I've got too much of my life in there. The same thing must be happening to a lot of uh, insurance companies. Yeah, that, that was going to be my, my next question to you is whether um, you think that um, the, the software providers are going to become um, sort of try and make it more difficult for you to move or could there be a move toward making it easier to move so that it's easier to decide on a new provider? I don't think I don't think it's in the interest of the uh, providers to make it easier for you to move away from them. And I think certainly in the UK, we've got you know one very large vendor who, who springs to mind who has made it you know uh, notoriously difficult to get away from them, notoriously difficult to access your data, um, and you know. For me, in 2020, there's absolutely no excuse for any vendor not having an API within their platform, um, not for people not being able to access their own data within their platform. Um, you know that that can only be a, a a state of protecting yourself. But I think, you know, actually having APIs and creating those ecosystems is the way that this this market's moving anyway. Um, and once you've got APIs and data becomes a little more standardized can be accessed freely, then it should be easier to move away because ultimately the thing preventing people at the moment is is the pain of migration um, and the cost of migration and the time that it takes uh, to migrate. That seems to be the, the biggest thing preventing it. I don't know what your view on that is, Andre. Yeah, absolutely. To me, there's a, there's a double-edged sword when it comes to you know being able to move off or not being able to move off. And that comes from this new drive at the moment 
where everybody is building out, well, not everybody, the good providers are building out no-code tools to allow clients to do a lot of the work themselves or, you know, a third party to do a lot of that work themselves. But where the double-edged sword but comes in is that if you actually look at what is driving the commercials behind the IT vendors, it is usually some sort of investment fund or a PE firm. And what they're looking for is what is the customer acquisition cost versus the lifetime value. Now, the more you drive down your customer acquisition costs by creating these no-code tools, the easier you make it for people to be able to move off because they can build something else somewhere else relatively quickly, which then drives down the lifetime value of that client. And that ratio is very important to them. So what I've seen some people starting to do is that because they can't actually necessarily keep you on platform as well as they did before, they tie you in in other mechanisms. And that's why creating these ecosystems around that where you have holding companies that have stakes in brokerages as well as carriers, as well as product providers. So it becomes a bit of a murky area when you really start unpacking it. But I think ultimately, you know, the regulator says that the data belongs to you. And if you want to be able to move it, you should be able to. IT providers should not make it difficult for you to have access to your own data. That is that is really not where we should be going. Yeah, that that is a, a, a strategy that we've seen in other industries as well that never works out very well. I see, um, uh, saw uh, an article about um, uh, BMW who was talking about being able to manage the functionalities in your car from an app. Um, and um, there were a couple of things like the heated seats and the heated steering wheel where you get it free for the first year. And then thereafter, you have to pay if you want your heated steering wheel to work, you know. So I was like, yeah, I don't know if that sort of strategy is actually good. I, I think I think the other really interesting thing that I've seen as well, which I think is, is an even more cynical side of that, is that, you know the, the potential that you can only access uh, you we don't have an api you can't access your data unless you're of a certain size and then all of a sudden an api you know magically exists that you can get the data from and that that really is cynical because you know your ability to access your data shouldn't be dictated by the size or your spend it's your data you know there is either an api or there is no api you can get your data or you cannot you know you shouldn't be held to ransom for your data that's another interesting thing that I've seen. Yeah, and, and Ed, I think you, you raise a very good point there, you know, and as someone that has been working in, in, um, in the IT space for quite some time, you do raise a challenging point about the size of clients and where that puts you in the picking order for IT vendors. And I think what is really nice about a software as a service solution is that it's, it levels the playing field to a certain degree. You know, you don't necessarily have to wait in line for special upgrades anymore. When that upgrade happens on the SaaS platform, everybody gets it. So there is a lot of advantages for the regional and the smaller uh, organizations being able to piggyback off of the larger organizations' product roadmaps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, it's been a fascinating conversation. Um, very interesting and very important topic, I think. Um, so thank you very much for um, sharing your thoughts. And um, I will certainly be um, pressing the buttons to talk to you again about some of the other pressing issues in the insurtech environment. Fantastic. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Tony. Keep up. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Andre.